All right, today we're going to take a look at a couple of litigation issues. Uh, one has to do with uh, Harvest Health out of Arizona disputing some issues with the $85.8 million deal they had with, uh, with Have a Heart here, a recreational store. So there's some disputes and legal claims. We're going to get to that first. And then after that, want to talk about uh, the roots of hemp litigation. So there's some issues with uh, bad contracts causing disputes. We're going to get into that in a moment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Katrina Golgowski, Angel Investor and Attorney, to talk about these litigation issues. Katrina, thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks, Josh. So we've talked about this Harvest Health issue um, because uh, Have a Heart had about five stores here in Washington. They sold to an Arizona-based Harvest Health, or um, sorry, is that the name of the company? Yeah, Harvest Health and Recreation. Um, and there was a whole bunch of issues that went wrong. So one of the things that we covered on was um, how uh, Have a Heart ended up getting some deal in California that in, that was involved with a... Um, social equity applicant, and then they sold to high times, but they got rid of the social equity applicant by buying them out beforehand. And it was as a bad deal. So that social equity applicant sued high times, but the center of it all is have a heart. So from the inception of that deal, looks like there's been some issues. So uh, Harvest Health is a multi-state operator. They were going to buy five stores in Washington, 85.8 million, which probably also included some other licenses that um, Have a Heart had. And that's the Seattle-based group. So there was a disagreement that emerged right after the deal was announced. <laughs> so Arizona-based uh, Harvest Health, they filed litigation last April against Have a Heart and some of the owners. Uh, and so the issue was that they won't be able to acquire the five have a heart retail outlets, but instead they're going to receive a $12 million secured five-year promissory note at 7.5% annual interest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> by, by the way, you, you know, that 85 million, you're not, you're not going to actually get those. You're, you're just giving us a loan, I guess. So the settlement also cancels 42,000 harvest shares issued to the previous owners of the Seattle-based Have a Heart. And so uh, the people at Harvest Health, they're saying that they're pleased to settle the disagreement and finally move forward. They're excited to continue to, on their focus, uh, which is not Washington. <laughs> they were just trying to get beyond that. Um, so very interesting developments here where you're going to sell it and then and then not give it away. I mean, does that happen a lot? I don't think I've, I've heard this from the cannabis space. It's generally you sell it because you want out, not sell it and then switch it around and then just take a, a loan, essentially. I really, I must say, I am not familiar with this litigation. So I can't really talk about the specifics of, of the have a heart situation. And I don't know if it was a regulatory issue. Uh, Washington, in order to be on a cannabis license, has very strict requirements. Uh, I don't know if it had anything to do with the uh, social equity licensing. I don't know if it had anything to do with just straight up retail sales in Washington not being what Harvest expected or what Have a Heart represented. 
So I can't speak to the merits of, of, of what's going on or a lot of the facts, um, except uh, don't do business in Washington. I don't know, Josh. <laughs> I, yeah. I just I can't. I, I don't know enough about it to to uh, give give our listeners any any uh, guidance here, except that it's settled. So we might never know definitively what happened. I would be interesting to see the terms of that agreement because how can you sign an agreement for almost a hundred million and then back out of it and say, well, actually, you're not going to get those stores. You're just going to get a twelve million dollar five-year loan at seven and a half percent. That's pretty crazy um, to back out of that deal afterwards, after the fact. But it does give uh, Harvest an opportunity to focus on their core assets, which are in Arizona. And after the election, they've gone wreck. And so they can kind of focus on better things. And to your point about Washington State, we've we've been talking about the Petri dish experiment that that is Washington State. And yet during the pandemic, the consistency, you know, the lack of um, tourism and just the, the overall constant sales that we've seen has been a nice, a nice change compared to what you see in Colorado and Nevada and some other places that do rely on uh, more tourism for sales. Washington doesn't. So it is, it is a, a, a place where people like Willie Nelson don't want to do business. They left Washington for greener pastures but it does kind of highlight the issue that you should probably have better contracts and don't take anything for granted, put in there that you're buying something and that you should be able to get what you buy. I don't know. Uh, again, I don't know the contents of this deal. I don't know what the dispute between the parties was, um, but this is, this is interesting. Uh, it's definitely going to cause me to Google litigation. Uh, <laughs> so I will, um, I'll take a look at that. Uh, but I, I think it, without knowing uh, a lot of the details here, I think uh, in the rush to merge and acquire to become as big as possible, as fast as possible, uh, you, you have to be aware of the restrictions in every state, um, and not only the uh, restrictions on the sale of cannabis, but also the regulatory restrictions in every state uh, relating to who can own and does is are there residency requirements? Are there financial disclosure requirements? Uh, and Washington is one of those big red herrings out there that really put a burden on not only an individual, but also a business entity that wants to get into Washington cannabis. If you are not a resident and you do not want to give fingerprints, credit card reports, and mortgage statements to the state of Washington to be on a license appropriately. So this is uh, definitely in the buyer beware category, Josh. And they're not alone. There's some other issues. So there's some bad contracts, the roots of hemp litigation. So yeah, bad contracts are going to be, you know, uh, a thorn in your side. So there's a lot of hemp lawsuits that owe their origin to contracts that are poorly specified, unclear, incomplete, or self-contradictory. Striving to write good contracts is a first line of defense against the risk of disappointed expectations and costly litigation. 
So companies that want to do business together hardly ever set out with bad intentions. When businesses collaborate, each believes that it'll be beneficial to the other's unique contributions and they want each other to succeed, generally speaking. <laughs> generally. In the hemp industry, it's common for companies across the supply chain to seek out one another's talents and resources for shared projects. And so uh, a well-drafted contract is going to be in the best interest of everybody. So there should be no question about uh, between the parties as to how their expectations of one another will be met. Their contract should accurately capture the intent of both the seller and the buyer which is really kind of the, the breakdown of that example we were just giving between a harvest out of Arizona and have a heart out of Seattle. One of the most common areas where hemp litigation arises is the processing stage where certain levels of potency and or composition of the hemp extracts are promised and or expected. But whereas with this, uh, with the seed sales discussed above, the parties haven't set forth the particular details of how those benchmarks can be achieved and are measured. Um, we did see some litigation actually last season about se uh, seeds, seeds that weren't specified for particular longitude, latitude, maybe it, it had too much THC, maybe it wasn't uh, right for the, the climate. Um, so there, I think there was a 40,000 or maybe it was a $400,000 litigation um, in Oregon suing a Colorado company for selling bad seeds. So we, we do see you know, what, what I say would be normal, you know, if you sell something that's not um, designed or, or efficient or as described, you're going to be sued. Then there's an entirely different thing about not having a, a contract that just states the obvious. And, you know, you expect to do business with somebody who wants to, to further, um, you know, the, the goals. But, you know, right now, I don't know, there's, there's some people out there doing some shady stuff. Uh, Josh, First of all, as our listeners know, I am an attorney. And uh, I, while my perspective is certainly a legal one, it's also basic business sense. Uh, a, a lot of folks uh, think that a handshake and a telephone call and a couple of texts back and forth are sufficient. Uh, as both cannabis and hemp come online and you're dealing with multi-million dollar contracts, that is just no longer sufficient. Uh, and, and when I first started in the hemp industry uh, about two years ago now, um, I was seeing contracts, uh, I'm going to buy your crop. Okay, uh, when are you going to buy it? When are you going to pay for it? Who pays for delivery? When are you going to deliver it? What about test results? What if it tests hot? Uh, I mean, just these bald contracts of I'm going to buy your crop or uh, send me something uh, in the mail. Uh, it, it just was not adequate. And now fast forward, uh, you, you really need to have a uh, uh, Someone, someone either in-house that can handle these contracts or outside counsel, at least draft a template one for you that you can replicate uh, for, for deals. And, and it's becoming imperative uh, as the USDA regulations change, when, when you planted that crop in the ground, it was compliant. When you harvested that crop, it was no longer compliant. So what are you going to do? 
and, and what what does your contract say? Um, and just as a rule of thumb for our listeners, you should start with the worst possible scenario for you. Your crop burns to the ground. Uh, what happens? You don't start with, oh, hey, Johnny and Sally are going to pay me. Everything is going to be great. My crop is going to test perfectly. Uh, and it'll be delivered without seizure or problem. No, 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 no. The contract should start with, oh, my God, this is what happened. And how do I deal with it? And your contract should flow from there. And I cannot stress that enough. Uh, and please, pretty please, please hire somebody to help you, at least with a template. And if you are entering a multi-million dollar deal, I'm going to sell my whole crop or I'm selecting Sally as my sole supplier for my nationally distributed chain of CBD products. Think about that. Uh, the bigger the amount of money at issue, the more strict and complete the contract must be. As we saw with Have a Heart, $85 million contract. Uh, you, you have to really start being business people. You, 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 you have to start thinking about the worst case scenario, Josh. I, I truly, truly cannot stress this enough. The, the number of, of contracts that I have seen uh, without a payment term, without a delivery term, without a venue, uh, it, it, it's, it, I, I lose sleep, Josh. I lose sleep, Josh, when I see these things. There's uh, many, many situations, and it's all too familiar now, where you don't have companies that first think about legal issues. So there's too many companies out there that that don't have individuals in place to help with um, the legalities as well as finance, um, and there's no real risk management in place. So regardless of if it's hemp or cannabis or any other industry, you see that a lot. People, they're just running out. You have operations and sales, but you don't have legal or finance to help with risk management all too often. So it, you're Especially gonna... when you're starting out, you know, uh, you, you read the book, you know, start lean and, you know, work out of your home and, and you know, that type of stuff. That's wonderful. Uh, but there are lawyers and uh, financial individuals uh, out there that will give you a template that will that will help you start uh, and, and check some boxes. Uh, and please, please, if you are writing a contract, entering into a contract, executing a contract, or considering entering a contract, if if you cannot in your pocket reach down and pay in full the amount of that contract, whether you are the buyer or the seller, please get some help. Please, I beg you, get some help beforehand. Yeah, so this article from Benzinga goes on to say that when there's no shared standard of expectations, no shared process for quantifying whether the standard is met, no shared solution for navigating conflicts, and disagreement is just a matter of time. 
So taking the time to consult with legal counsel to write and review sound contracts isn't just the best way to avoid and mitigate conflict, it's good business. That's kind of a, a way to, to end on that note, um, not just to toot our own horns at the importance of finance and legal help, but really to help your business kind of stay afloat. It's pretty essential, um, as we just kind of highlighted in that example between Have a Heart and uh, Harvest Health. You want to basically avoid litigation as best as possible, be upfront, be uh, transparent, be honest. Um, but some companies aren't. So it's due diligence. It's KYC. You got to cover your own ass. Agreed entirely, Josh. All right. We're going to keep this one short. I want to thank my guest, Katrina Gogowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks, Josh. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.